welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, remember, you can find us on social media. Just search Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can also search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram. will pop up and at Medium Cool Pod on Instagram. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Or, you know what, you can just subscribe to this dang podcast, whether you're on Spotify, where you could follow us, or on uh, Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe, follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, and you're listening to this now. And as I said, I want to start doing some stuff with YouTube. You can go over to YouTube, search Medium Cool Pod, or, or Medium Cool, a movie podcast. We'll pop up. You'll find us. It'll be in the description regardless. Uh, but anyways, you should definitely check that out. We're going to be doing some fun stuff, and on, you know, on the last intro, I believe that I talked about wanting to do kind of a whole series of videos on YouTube, and I kind of had a different thought. I'm curious if anybody's interested in this, uh, you know, hit us up at any of the social media that we talked about. You can also find me, Austin Glidden, G-L-I-D-D-E-N, Austin Glidden, at Austin Glidden on Twitter. Um, you can find that in the show description as well, and just hit me up and let me know what you think of this. So what I'm thinking is I might do uh, just kind of occasionally when I have something to talk about, I might do a Thursday show, something maybe like medium, uh, the Medium Cool Thursday review or something where I'll kind of review everything that I've kind of watched. Maybe not everything, but the, the notable things that I want to talk about, you know, uh, maybe I'll talk about those. And then what I might also do to kind of work in a YouTube element is I might, you know, I'll, I'll do I'll do one Thursday review that has like, you know, four or five movies, and I'll have them kind of note, noted out, and it'd just be me, so it'd go a lot quicker, it won't be a long discussion, it'd just be me giving you some ideas, giving you my rating, and moving on to the next one. So I'll be able to get through quite a few in less than an hour is the plan. And it's just kind of some extra content if you want to learn about some movies. There will also be timestamps in the description so that you can jump to movies if you're really interested in hearing a specific one only. That's up to you. I encourage you to listen to all of them because there's going to be a whole slew of movies coming from all different directions. I'm also going to be doing uh, film marathons. You know, I want to do, I have a film noir one planned. I have a, uh, an anime challenge that I want to do all kinds of fun stuff. But anyways, on the YouTube side, what I want to do is I want to take that episode and say I cover five movies in that Thursday review on the podcast. What I want to do is then splice that up so that each of the reviews are separate. And then I'll do a video intro to the same content that was put on the podcast. And it'd be like these clips from the Thursday review that will be over on YouTube. And then it'd kind of like, in a way, kind of cross-promote, you know? Maybe it'd be a related video, or maybe somebody will come across it because they're searching for, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah, or whatever I cover, Akira if I do an anime thing, or whatever. I don't know. I think this is a cool idea. You know, again, it won't be new content per se, other than the intro that I do. And if I have a cool box set or something, I might do a... Uh, a review of the box set prior to talking about the films. I don't know, dude. But, you know, I don't know. Send me your thoughts, your ideas, what you would like to see and what you think would be cool. Uh, again, Medium Cool Pod, all over the place. Just find us, or you can hit me up on Twitter, at Austin Glidden. And, uh, hey, I'll be there. Anyways, give me your ideas there. Now, moving on to today's episode, I'm going to be talking about, uh, or we, rather, Joe's with me again, as always, it seems, Uh it just never goes away, and <laughs> um, basically, we're going to be talking about our 2021 preview, where we talk about five films that we predict could be on our final end of the year list when it comes to our top 10 list of this year, and so we're going to look back at this list 
at the end of the year and see if any of these ended up on our end of the year list. Um, and we're going to do that. That's going to be fun. And you'll be able to learn about a few movies in case you didn't know that they existed. You'll learn about a few movies you can look forward to. But before we get to that, Joe and I are going to let you know our thoughts on the new HBO Max film, Judas and the Black Messiah. So here it is. Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton of the Illinois Black Panther Party. Repeat after me. Terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder a liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom. Joe, we are here today to talk about our 2021 preview, but before we get to that, we're going to be talking about a film that came out last Friday. It is called Judas and the Black Messiah. It is co-written and directed by Shaka King, starring Lakeith Stanfield, Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Jesse Plemons, Dominique Flat or uh, Fishback, sorry, and then Martin Sheen. Uh, Martin Sheen yeah. in the movie with pretty bad makeup. It's okay, though. Um, synopsis of the film basically is the story of Fred Hampton, deputy chairman of the National Black Party, uh, Black Panther Party, who was assassinated in 1969 by a Cook County tactical unit on the orders of the FBI and Chicago Police Department. The film shows this largely from the perspective of Bill O'Neill, an FBI informant and Fred Hampton companion, and the man who made the FBI coup possible. Um, Joe, I want to start... By talking a little bit about the performances, if that's all right with you, and then I'll get I'll get yeah. your thoughts on it, and then we can kind of just go for it like we do. Um, so you know you have you know you can talk about Lakeith Stanfield as Wild Bill O'Neill, the FBI informant. Um, you can talk about Daniel Kaluuya as Fred Hampton, you know the deputy chairman, mm-hmm. as I said. Uh, Jesse Plemons, who plays the FBI agent controlling Wild Bill, and you can talk about uh, you know the uh, Hampton's partner, uh, who is played by uh, Dominique Fishback, but uh, her character's name's Deborah, and she's really great. Um, but I, I, I want to start with I thought Kaluya and Plemons were really good here, in particular. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I think one of the things in this film 
that people are going to talk about, which is why I want to start with this, and and already did talk about before people even saw it. They were anticipating the performances and Daniel Kaluuya in particular. And so, yeah. you know, I my favorites, getting back to that, uh, were Kaluuya and Plemons. Kaluuya because I, I mean. You know, he just goes all out here, right? I mean, he's really, Absolutely. really being, uh, particularly in the in the vocal performance of of his um, uh, speeches and the fervency in which he speaks them. Uh, but uh, you know, just by the time you finish the film, it, it I feel like this movie is probably going to go on as one of his career defining performances for a while, like until the next one. You know, Get Out yeah. introduced us. To him, right. right, and then this film seems like this will kind of be the benchmark until he surpasses it, and I think he probably yeah. will, because um, he is really, really skilled. But Plemons, I feel like not enough people are talking about. He, I feel like yes. he's always good, but he's always that really reserved guy. You know what I mean? Yes. Like he, he's so good at being subtle and employing like tons of like little nuances to make his character mm-hmm. believable. But he, but I could see some people blaming him or or, or, or uh, claiming that he's stiff, maybe, or he's, you know what I mean. But he's always yeah, playing yeah. those stiff characters. You know what I mean. He, he's never the boisterous, loud, wild man. He's always that yes. really reserved character. But each one has nuances. For example, if you watch The Master, and then you watch something like uh, that I loved uh, from last year that was on my top ten which is no longer, by the way. We can talk about that maybe closer to the Oscars because it got booted oh. off. But um, uh, I'm thinking about of ending things. I'm thinking of ending things. Of things yeah. yeah, so you got that performance, and you got the master, and then you have this one. They're all different performances. Um, but he yeah. kind of has this like common through line in them. I think Plemons is great. And then someone yeah. else is getting a ton of buzz is Lakeith Stanfield as Wild Bill, mm-hmm. which for me, and this is going to kind of be how I set you up for this, uh, Joe, I almost called you Bill because I'm talking about him. <laughs> but but uh, anyways, no, 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 not Bill. <laughs> yeah, here, here, here's my setup for you. I guess you know Stanfield uh, is is good, uh, but I felt like Wild Bill was was hit or miss for me actually, and and never bad though. So when I say yeah. miss, I don't mean bad, but it's more mm-hmm. between a uh, spectrum of eh, pretty good to man excellent. Like he was really yeah. good in some scenes. In other scenes, I just it felt to me like just some guy acting pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so, so at the very least, I guess what I'm saying is inconsistent for me. Um, but talking about the performances, though, how'd you feel about Stanfield and the? You know, why don't you take us down the cast altogether? Just what was your? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, well, yeah, I'll, I'll start with uh, Lakeith Stanfield. It was, um, you know, I, I would probably agree with you um, saying he was a little inconsistent. There were, there were some scenes, especially later on, where, he, you know, the, his character is, it, it's time for his character to stop being, like, his, his character is pretty much on the fence, right? He's playing both sides through the whole film. He's, um, he, you know, he, he's been, you know, for those of you who don't know the kind of the story, um, he essentially is um, Fred Hampton's right-hand man, uh, his chief of security. Um, but at the same time, he has gotten himself into trouble, and the FBI has kind of picked him up and and pulled him into being an informant. Kind of, they kind of put him in a corner and forced him, but he's relatively uh, willing to participate. You know, he he's there. There's not a whole lot of 
him agonizing over this decision. You know, it's they they have him in the corner and they're like, hey, you know, you can go to jail for what you just did, or you know, maybe you can help us out. And he's pretty much, yeah, okay, sure, I'll help you out. Later on, as things are becoming more real, as people are dying, and as he realizes what the ultimate end goal is, the end game is for the FBI and for for Fred Hampton, he starts to he starts to have that kind of that regret and it kind of starts to come through and uh there's a moment there's a moment where um and i'm trying to think of what the movie is there's another this scene is very reminiscent of another movie where there's someone in in a crowded room and there's like the bad guy who's there who's not supposed to be there and who's eyeballing him and and I'm and I'm sure you know this scene, but I'm I'm trying to remember what the the movie is that this is this is almost an homage to this movie, and I can't remember what the movie is now. But um, but Jesse Plemons' character is is in the crowd of this Black Panther meeting, and he's behind a bunch of people, you know, and he's like giving the nod to to Bill, like, "Hey, I'm right here. Don't forget what you're here to do," and and it's very menacing and, and threatening. That says, um, number one, that's a lot about um, Plemons, who I'll get to in a minute, but um, that's kind of this moment for for uh, for Bill, Bill O'Neill where, for the character anyway, where Stanfield's performance kind of picks up because now he has this, you know, he has this kind of duality he's got to wrestle with and got to decide whose side he's really on in the end. And um, it, it's it's really telling. There's a kind of a coda that I'm not, I don't want to spoil I'll just say there's a coda that that gives to this movie that gives the real life Bill O'Neill a chance to say something. And what he says, I think kind of defines the character altogether. It kind of defines where they were at with this character. Um, and and oh, geez, really honestly, that's about as much as I can say about it without giving much away. But it it shows what he was thinking and it shows his misguidedness, I, I think, in a sense. So um I, I think Stanfield pulled that off late in the film, but early on, I think, and th- this is probably the, the film's biggest weakness is that it, it kind of takes time before it really gets there. And you don't really see that, you know, you don't see that moral, you know, that moral wrestling inside of him. You just kind of see him helping. And then finally later on, it, it turns a corner, but um, I, I would have liked to have seen that to be more of a, more of a tension builder going for, you know, through the whole thing. Yeah, I th- I think with Stanfield too, you you touch on something that I wanted to bring up, which is, uh, you you mentioned like it takes a little too far to get too long to get there. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. And and something with with Stanfield that I like is I agree with you. That's when he kind of picks up, and that's when I feel like the dimensions of his character begin to bloom. Right. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, absolutely. we're nearing the end at that point. <laughs> yeah, like that's like right. third act territory almost, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, before that, though, uh, pretty much. And this is, again, one of my this is more my criticism of, of what you were kind of getting at is um, Stanfield's Wild Bill from the beginning, once he basically gets caught and becomes an informant. Yeah. All the way until that scene, almost. Right before, I would yeah. say right before that scene when um, Fred Hampton comes back from prison and yes. expects their headquarters to be destroyed. I'll just say that, I guess. Um, but yeah. it's not, right? right. Um, and 
it's in that moment that Wild Bill, Bill, I feel like, realizes how much he's bought into it. Like how yeah. much he's... Because up to that point, he was trying to infiltrate this thing, but it was all... He was not political. Even when he first gets busted, right. he's like, I don't know about these guys. I don't care about the Panthers. I don't care about the Crowns, yeah. whoever. Like, who cares? It's at that yeah. point that he realizes, wow, I've put a lot into keeping this place safe, rebuilding, helping... I think I actually yeah. care about this thing. And and this is shown through Roy constantly reminding him that, you know, the Panthers are no better than the KKK. You know, like that's his yes. viewpoint, right? And yes. he's constantly reminding him like, hey, don't drink the Kool-Aid, man. Like, remember mm -hmm. where your allegiances lie. So then yeah. all of that leads to that scene that you're talking about where he sees Roy in this crowd. He's not supposed to be there. And he's right. struggling. But here's my problem. Yeah. It took like an hour and a half or something to get there mm -hmm. that first hour and a half the i'm go back and watch it if someone doesn't agree with me if you've seen it stan or uh wild bill it's all about okay i gotta get in there oh i can't get caught i gotta get in there oh i can't get caught right. that's the whole like you come on <laughs> i have some yeah, criticisms yeah. for why i think this is and we'll get there when we get to kind of have the execution of the film was but um, I, I that kind of held me back with that character and, and again I, I don't want to say that Lakeith Stanfield's not talented I mean he was great in Get Out um, and oh, yeah. and and in this one he's still good and I uh -huh. I don't know how much of it I want to put on his shoulders and how much of I I, I want to put on the writing because it is kind of hand in hand there um, but it's that kind of uncertainty until he's finally confronted with the reality that man he's been doing a lot for them and he's already starting to drink the Kool Aid. And then that moment yeah. of seeing Roy. I mean, that whole section's really good. But yeah, man, I wish I wish we would have gotten that one earlier, to be honest. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you, you know, you mentioned him, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, and things he's been in, uh, you know, in Get Out. He was in uh, Sorry to Bother You also and was outstanding in that film. Um, uh, he was in Selma also, which I almost forgot about, and um, and Short Term Twelve, which is a great film. He's a good actor. He's a very, very good actor. Um, I, I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a star. I think for years to come. But um, yeah, and I, yeah, I don't know if if you know we put it on him or if it's just the script. Um, but yeah, that that was that's kind of was a little bit of the you know the the weakness I think of it. Um, uh, if we're if we're ready to move on to talk about uh, Jesse Plemons. He he's the one who blew me away in this. Um, oh, cool! You know, Daniel yeah. Kaluuya, yeah, Daniel Kaluuya was was terrific. Also, um, uh, uh, and you know what I want to mention uh, with Daniel Kaluuya was that you mentioned his the scene when he gets out of prison, and you, you know they're they're sitting there, and and you know of course he wants to go right back to headquarters, and then and then he's making a speech shortly thereafter, and the way that he changed at that point was to me was the biggest thing for for uh, Daniel Daniel Kaluuya was Fred Hampton was a different person you know giving that speech than he was before and he was he was much more you know he was he was much more aggressive and much more thunderous about you know delivering the speech he was his his uh, word choice was was a lot more aggressive it, you know he was he was like it's time to stop messing around and you know, and I mean, and he very he very clearly states the best way to be like remarkable is to kill all the pigs. Like that's yeah, like exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. He's not beating around the bush anymore. Yeah, and yeah. So that that was, 
you know, and, and you get to see him. Daniel Kaluuya shows him, shows Fred Hampton as, as full on leader mode. And then he goes, uh, you know, and then you think about some of the quieter scenes they, uh, he has with, with Deborah early on, especially um, as they're meeting. And there, there's actually, you know, a, a moment where they're sitting there when they first met and she goes, I didn't, what did she say? I, um, I didn't expect you to be shy. Yeah and, yeah. and he's like, what? I'm not shy. And she's like, yeah, kind of. And, yeah. and he was, he was, he was a little, he was much more restrained. He was nervous around, you know, around this girl who ends up, because, I don't know if they got married um, technically, but they were, you know, they were partners together. Yeah. And um, he, he was just, he was really great. Um, and, and yeah, I, I agree with you that it'll be a defining performance, I think for him for a while. Um, but Plemons, man, he, the, the two scenes for me that stuck out were that one, uh, the one we mentioned where he's at, at the, the rally and he, he doesn't say anything. He's just standing, you know, sitting there and he's like pointing at him a little bit, waving it, you know, at Bill. But the other one is um, a scene where he is in J. Edgar Hoover's office. And, you know, it's, uh, and, you know, as you said, Martin Sheen played um, Hoover under some, yeah, some pretty just terrible makeup. Yeah, just, it, just, it just, it didn't look good. Uh, that was the first, he was I kind the first of, thing. I kind of, like, in a strange way, I kind of love it in the same way that I love bad 80s yeah. makeup. Yeah, <laughs> right. But it's yeah, not, it was, it's it almost, just, it's distracting. Every time he was on the screen, I just kept looking at, man, this looks uh, wild. You know, who put yeah, contacts it, in his eyes? Like, I don't know, man. I, it yeah. was weird. It was like it was like Gary Oldman uh, when he was playing Churchill. Sometimes, like, uh, like if you're if you're looking for Gary Oldman in that movie, it that like you can go, oh yeah, that makeup could be pretty bad. But um, yeah, but this is is worse. But anyway, so the the scene is there in his office, and um, you know, Plymouth's character has uh, Plymouth's character is uh, Roy Mitchell is his name, and um, you know they're exchanging pleasantries. You know, how's the family? And and he talks about his infant daughter, and and Hoover gets really serious, and he says, "What are you going to do when she brings home a Negro?" And it completely takes him off guard, like catches him off guard. He's like, "What the hell are you talking?" Like she's a baby, and he's like, "Right, but someday," and and he he doesn't know what to say, and you can see number one, he doesn't know how to respond in a way that would be acceptable socially yeah. to, you know, to Hoover. And also what that does like to his own personal belief system, you can tell he's struggling with that. And that, that was really interesting to even include the scene, honestly, um, in the film. Um, but it just gives him that moment where he gets a little, where he's, you know, it's, it's not a, I'm just doing my job kind of thing necessarily, but there's just that little bit of, of hesitance to you know he's he's not a raging racist right like he's he's doing a job and you know maybe he has his thoughts and maybe he's been conditioned or maybe he's convinced himself as you said they're just as bad as the clan but you can tell he's not at that point a hundred percent bought in to the we got to get rid of these black panther folks because they're you know you can that that's a kind of the moment where you you really truly see how much they're being railroaded you know and and you can and it really gives you that that full sense of man 
the there's no way that that the government is going to just let this pass and let them win this you know this little conflict because this is this is ingrained stuff and and it shocks him and it's it's a really interesting character moment and and that that's probably my favorite moment for him yeah yeah i you know one of the scenes with uh roy that i really liked that made him seem a whole lot more human to me i guess because those two scenes are great and they're kind of pivotal plot point scenes but one that's less plot point and more just kind of like character is whenever yeah. Roy takes Bill to his house and they're just kicking back yes. and they're just like drinking beers or or scotch or whatever it is that they're drinking. And they're just kind of hanging out and kind of talking about what's going to happen next. It's this very simple mm-hmm. scene, easily forgettable. But man, yeah. that's the first moment where you see Roy as not just an FBI agent, but he's just a dude. And he's like, right, kind of cool in that scene, <laughs> like, because all yeah, the other yeah. scenes, I could argue that he's basically like a like a racist who doesn't know he's a racist, and, <laughs> and yeah, you know, yeah. like things uh-huh. like that. But it's like that that scene's pretty powerful to me. And, and dude, I agree. Like I said, you know, of course, you know, Daniel Kaluuya, Kaluuya uh, gave a brilliant performance, and and uh, mm. I just I'm afraid that Plemons won't be mentioned as much. And like you. He really, really yeah. stood out to me, and I, I love him in most things. And, and the thing yeah. that put him on my radar was the Master. It wasn't the first thing I saw him in, but uh, the Master, where he plays Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. And as the yeah. years have went on, I just keep thinking, what a fitting role because though he's nothing yeah. really like Philip Seymour Hoffman, now mm-hmm. I can't uh, n- disassociate the two <laughs> every time I see him. Yeah, absolutely. Where sometimes I try to think like wait is he really a son no 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 he was just that in a movie because he just he really does seems like seem like like a second or third generation actor to me like someone who's been around it and just yeah. gets it and um i don't know man he's great so i i do want to go back to a point you made and this is going to kind of take us into the execution of the film and, and we can kind of run with it here um yeah you brought up fred hampton and deborah his his partner in the movie and and uh those scenes and you know this movie is really strange to me. Uh, it, this is kind of in the vein of a uh, of an Amadeus or a, the assassin of assassination yeah. of Jesse James by the coward Robert mm-hmm. Ford, where you know Fred Hampton, though he is a main character, the kind of protagonist of the film is Wild Bill. It's all from his perspective. The whole point of this is kind of like his story, the same as it was Robert Ford's story in the assassination of Jesse James, the same as it was Salieri's story in um, right. uh, Amadeus. But the thing, see, man, th- so this is where I'm on the fence. And, and I want to clarify something. Overall, I'm I'm positive on this movie. I mean, I like this movie overall, yeah. so don't get me wrong. Uh, but I some of these things are kind of glaring issues that bug me a little bit more. Mm-hmm then I feel like I would be other movies because this could have been that much better because, and I might get to this, I might elaborate on it. And if I don't, at least I'll get it in here. This movie looks awesome. Like I think many times the score is really effective for, we'll Mm -hmm. get to that. Maybe there are many things to love here. Okay. Um, And, and not to mention that this is an incredibly important story to be told. And this story Mm -hmm. is not one I knew prior to finding out about this movie being made. So, um, like, I, I, all of that's great. But the way that they execute this, man, you have 
Wild Bill, most of this is from his perspective. He is infiltrating. He is the Judas, so to speak, right? And then yeah. you have Fred Hampton. He is the Black Messiah, so to speak. And dude's super young. I had no idea that he was only like 20 or 21. You know what I mean? Yeah, so super yeah. young dude, really powerful speaker. He's getting up there, and he's doing his thing. But here's the thing. They give you these moments with Kluya and with Fred Hampton. You know what I mean? As Fred Hampton. Yeah. They give you these moments, and a lot of the moments outside of, of doing speeches and outside of his time with Wild Bill, the only scenes I remember, and there are probably more, but the only scenes I remember are his moments with Deborah, okay? And every scene with Deborah is a plot point, okay? So every time he's with her, he's working through something, minus when they first meet each other. Like you were, you right. were talking about when they first got to know each other. That's like uh, showing that they are a partnership. But once that's established, Absolutely. once that's established, mm -hmm. either he's in jail or he's with Deborah, basically. And those moments with Deborah, it bums me out because they're really, I feel like they try to develop Fred Hampton, you know, as like this full fledged character. But much like, you know, I mean, I, I would say MCU's guilty of this in a lot of their movies. Um, and uh, I mean, just a lot of kind of popular kind of blockbusters do this. Not that this is anything like that, but basically, yeah. like, you know, you have this. I'm trying to think how to say this. You're trying to build this character as a sympathetic character, right? So yeah. oftentimes what they'll do is they will give you only what is necessary to complete the narrative, right? Yes. So every scene with Fred Hampton and Deborah is a scene that kind of gets this moment in so that you can understand where Fred Hampton's mental space is or you know, what his motivations are or that he's struggling with this thing and he needs support, you know, and Deborah's always there to kind of be that, that, um, that, uh, talking buddy, that, that, that kind of compass to help him find his way. Right. But unfortunately, yeah. I, I, part of me wishes that this was done differently and, I, and this is getting to a wider issue, but I'm kind of bringing this up as a, like, a one of a few issues. Um, I never feel like that relationship ever actually develops. It feels like she yeah. is kind of like this this plot point or like compass, if you will, like I said, that helps him through these yeah. things. And it kind of trivializes that relationship. And then it just feels like exposition to me. And mm -hmm. the reason this kind of bothers me is because I feel like I wish this was the assassination of Jesse James. I wish, <laughs> I wish that Fred Hampton was this figure that is like bigger than life, like Jesse James almost, that he was the figure that we know. And it follows uh, Bill O'Neill because at that moment, maybe they wouldn't have spent the first hour and a half basically trying to uh, show that he doesn't want to get caught, but then he wants to help and then doesn't want to get caught over and over and over again. Um, but it felt like they were kind of splitting their focus a lot on Bill and then on Fred. And they're making it this like two-way thing. Whereas, again, you know, take something... Again, I'm not comparing these, just bringing up as a point. You have Amadeus. It's all from Solieri's yeah. point of view. So it's entirely his story. Even though you do get moments right. uh, with just Mozart away from him, he is retelling the story as he knows it. And the same, like, Assassination of Jesse James, it's all from... 
uh, Robert Ford's perspective, and he's telling it the same way he tells the stories years yeah. later on stage, right? And this never felt like it had mm-hmm. that focus for me. It was like this split between these two characters, but the problem with that is neither one character got like enough attention for me to mm-hmm. kind of care by the end right. um, mm-hmm. as much as I could, because I, we'll talk about the end as vaguely as we can, because I actually think there is a certain point where this movie yeah. really took me and I was like super on board. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, kind yes. of, kind of like Stanfield, it was a bit later than I wish that it had grasped me. Um, but basically what I'm getting yeah. at is, if they're going to make the film that exists now, Judas and the Black Messiah as it exists, I almost wish it was what I just described. You know, it was more of the Robert Ford looking at the Jesse James. Yeah. But in reality, yeah. what I wish is, I almost wish it was Selma, except for with Fred Hampton, where it focuses on him and less Stanfield, because then you could really focus on developing the figure that is most important for us to understand, that yeah. is most important for like you know the black community, what is most important for X Y Z, right? And so I'm I was really torn, and it's yeah. something that I couldn't disassociate with the film as I'm watching it because I felt like I was kind of watching two movies that never kind of got off the ground for me. I talked a, way too long about yeah. that, but Joe, do you have any feelings about that? Did you agree, <laughs> or did it kind of just work yeah. for you? What was that execution like for you? So, yeah, so I'm going to say this. I think it worked just a little bit better for me than for you. Um, But I think those are very valid. You know, the the movie, I think, was meant to to kind of parrot that structure, um, that Amadeus or, or, um, you know, assassination of Jesse James. You know, it starts with um, with Bill O'Neill as an older man giving an interview. Yeah. And that that's that setup, right, where it's like, okay, this is going to be through his point of view. But we, as you said, we get these long stretches where it's, it's Bill Hampton and it's, you know, and it's Deborah. And I think you're supposed to look at this, look at their relationship as a, a big kind of tragic romance, you know, a a timeless tragic romance that, you know, you obviously, you know, is, you know, is doomed in in some sense. Um, Again, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much we want to not spoil versus like this is a historical event, right? Like we, we know what happens at the end, but, um, um, but we don't. Yeah, but you're right that we don't really see that romance. We see their first, like their first date, their initial meeting, and then it kind of skips ahead, and then they're a couple, and there are there are those scenes, like you said, where they're together, where he's obviously relying on her, where he's obviously talking to her, and and working through things with her um and and she takes the lead in some you know when you know when he's gone and at, at certain times but you don't get that sense of the the romance the love of their you know so, so much at least as you said not as much as they could have yeah and and yeah it, it's i think that's perfect a perfectly valid criticism that that we get that you know they're they're chasing the two rabbits right they're chasing both Bill and uh, Fred Hampton and neither one of them are uh, in the end, they, they don't really catch either one of them in, in the sense that they could have. Yeah. And, and it sucks. Cause I want to clarify this. I, I don't think that the romance needed to be any more developed really. Mm-hmm. It's just literally all we yeah, see yeah. are to further the plot. And so you never get that sense. So it's like, right. okay, 
are there better ways to do this <laughs> where we don't focus as because what what's the point of right, showing yeah, these absolutely. scenes if they don't matter? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but uh, right, yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, again. Th- this may sound more harsh than I actually feel because ultimately I'm for this movie um, and, and I'm not doing a good job. I'm going to get here in a second. We'll talk about a few things that I'm a big fan of and I'm sure you are too, yeah. but you know, um, long story short, that's, that's kind of a, a, a big one for me was just, it seemed like they were constantly tearing apart uh, between Bill and Fred. And I really wanted them to just focus on something and just like, let it breathe and give me some moments. Cause I think it just would have been a benefit even to Kaluuya's performance where he would have had all of mm-hmm. these really powerful moments and it really would have just sent it over just over more than he even was in this better. But his performance yeah. is still fantastic in those other moments, but it's just those scenes don't mean as much. And it, I don't know. It, it, it was something that kind of, I, I didn't want it to bother me, but it just kept creeping up in my mind as I'm watching. And it's just something sure. that I couldn't kind of avoid but I, I do I do want to say a, a couple of things and I'll end on something to pass back to you here um, I some things that I really love about this in execution I love how the film is bookended with real footage I'll just say it that way um, that was super yes. powerful to me I didn't know how to take it up front but, but once it kind of bookends it I, that was just really really powerful for me and that kind of was a nice period at the end of the movie so to speak that uh Yes. I don't know. A nice bit of punctuation that really kind of helped me feel more for the film. That was really great. And uh, the film, like I said, looks absolutely gorgeous. It was uh, shot by Sean Bobbitt, who worked on all of Steve McQueen's feature films, um, like, you know, Hunger and 12 Years a Slave. I don't know if he did the uh, um, small axe stuff. I I don't think he did, but all of the features prior to that. He did uh, yeah. Derek Chianfrance's A Place Beyond the Pines, as well as some films for Spike Lee and, and Barry Levinson. I mean, the dude has uh, a pretty great record, but this movie is right up there, man. Like, how good does this movie mm-hmm. look? It's so great. Um, oh, and then, it's wonderful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Color, just everything, man. It, it feels really good. Yeah. And then uh, director Shaka King seems, uh, you know, to also know kind of where to put the camera. And um, what I love about... Uh, King's direction is though the film looks really modern, this film takes place in the late sixties. So like, it's interesting that it's about the treatment of the black community and how harsh it is at the time, but really it is like a perfectly relevant mirror to something that may be a bit more subtle in our current predicament, but that still exists. Like Mm -hmm. you can YouTube stuff that looks as bad or worse than what's in this movie. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, um, yeah. And so uh-huh. I, I love, yeah. uh, you know, I love her, uh, King's mix of like a very modern looking film um, where it doesn't feel stuffy or, you know, antique, yeah. but it's of like an older period that actually, sometimes that doesn't work for me actually, but in this one, it seemed almost like a metaphor. Um, and uh, yeah. last, the last thing I'll say, and then I want to pass it to you and just kind of get, your thoughts on some of these like production related things. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the, the film ultimately for me was kind of about identity and uh, you know, wild Bill's struggle uh, with like who he was and, and you know what he wants to believe basically, because again, it's clear that at first he's kind of this con man, you know, like boosting cars and then, Uh and, and he cares about nothing. Like it's, 
pay me and I'll do it. You know, it's very, right. he has no kind of politics yeah. in his brain. And it's very much like this kind of existential crisis where, like, you know, he's exploring this side of his life. I do wish that would have been more explored. But, again, that would have taken a full-fledged, like, we got to focus on one or the other. Um, but, man, yeah. uh, you know, so uh, the scene where they go into the Crown's headquarters... I didn't even know who the crowns mm-hmm. were before this movie, by the way. So this tells how little on history yeah. I knew about this story. It, it almost made me ashamed, yeah. but because this seems like a huge deal I didn't know about. But the crowns are kind of like a rival uh, organization to the Black Panthers. Um, you know, it's another black organization, right. and they have like turfs. And if you go on that turf, you better be like packing, or you better have an invitation, kind of a thing, right? And so, um, yeah. Uh, you know, Fred Hampton takes a posse basically into this group, uh, you know, small skeleton crew of his Panthers, and they go into this place. They're completely surrounded. And uh, like, I really loved kind of everything about this scene, but it's also going to lead me to throwing this back to you now. Yeah, This really was an interesting moment of identity for Wild Bill for me as well, because he goes in and he's confronted with his past. Because I'll just say someone recognizes him. We'll just say it that way. Yes. And I feel yes. like there's a lot more to that scene than a lot of people would kind of let on. It's not just a plot device to me. I feel like this was uh-huh. something that you could kind of look into uh, with mm-hmm. his character. But that scene is shot beautifully. I love what the camera's doing. A lot of times it's still. Sometimes it's closer shots. Sometimes it's over the shoulder behind a crowd of you know antagonists, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But the way that Hampton and the Crown's leader are talking, there's a tension that's supposed to be building here. And this is the only thing I'm not a fan of with a lot of this stuff. And this is where I pass it on to you. That scene is almost perfect to me. Everything about yeah. it. The sparseness of yeah. music. Um, again, the camera work, the performances, everything is really good. Again, it it through action... Rather than talking, where Fred Hampton's just talking to Deborah and they're trying to develop Hampton's character, I like his development through yep. actions. Okay, so when he's in there, he's yes. doing something and it's telling you something about him. So this is like a perfect example of how show yeah. don't tell is a much better way of developing a character like this to me. And uh, Hampton is so good. The one thing that I didn't get from this, and this is where I pass it on to you is there are many scenes like this. There's a scene where they go into uh, like a bar and there are a bunch of crowns there. That's where he gets the meat, basically. You know, Um, There are many moments where Hampton is kind of confronting a really intense situation. Never one time, actually, the most tense moment in the entire movie for me was when Bill sees Roy at that gathering. Yeah. But these other scenes... The scene where um, I'll just say this: I think not. If you know what I'm talking about, when Bill is uh, told to uh, hotwire the car, do you know what scene I'm talking about? So uh, yes. the, the hotwire the yes. car scene, um, the all the crown scenes, right? These are set mm-hmm. up almost like a Tarantino level tension, right? <laughs> this is them walking yeah. to the bar in France uh, or yeah. Germany or wherever they are, right? Like. Like, they're going into this place they shouldn't be, and there is a palpable tension, or so they're supposed to be. And I just felt like none of those scenes had the gusto 
that I wanted them to. I never really felt like anyone was truly in peril. Did you feel that right. way, or did those kind of work for you? Because this was one of my other kind of only... I won't even call it a nitpick. I will call it a criticism. But I feel like, man, yeah. this is where it should have been turned up to 10 for all these. These are the spikes in yeah. in, in uh-huh. the film that never quite spiked for me. H- yeah. How did you feel about those moments of quote-unquote yeah. tension? Yeah, it, it, uh, the the hot wiring scene worked for me a little bit more than that. The, and, yeah, in that, that first crown scene, a little bit. But I felt like it was... They they were both kind of diffused in a sense because they just happen so fast. Yeah, they they just come along, and and all of a sudden you're there and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on? And you're like, oh, that oh wait, that guy, re- okay, wow. But then it, and then it's over. All of a sudden, it it doesn't build that tension to to allow it to to really become something important. Um, the um, so I mean uh, that's yeah, I I think that's your your spot on. Um, but like I said, that those scenes uh, on the whole worked for me, but they could have been better. And and that's kind of my story for this movie, um, is that it's very good. It still could have been a little better. Um, it could have, it could have been one that we talk about as a kind of one of those, you know, these more timeless, you know, like, like Selma has a very good reputation. Like if, if you ask someone, Hey, there's a race-based movie from the last couple of years about the civil rights movement, you know, what, you know, let's talk, Selma's going to jump up there, right? Like people are going to remember that it was, it was a larger cultural kind of event, something like the hate you give, which I really, really loved. I'm like, that's, that's a great like watershed, you know, kind of film that deals with race over the last several years. This one is more like in a a second tier, I think. And, and I, I I don't want to keep harping on it because you know, it's very good. It it could have been great, but it's but I mean, very good is well, is okay. Um, but you know, it, I I I feel like I think kind of like you do that they they left some things on the table that they could have put it in the movie. Um, I do want to mention, you know, you mentioned this the crown scene. That was kind of part of a a, a sequence, a larger sequence where he's putting together the Rainbow Coalition. Yeah, which. I didn't even realize was attributed to him originally. I, I thought that was a Jesse Jackson thing. Um, you know, I, I heard Jesse Jackson say it many a times. I had no idea it was Fred Hampton. So yeah, it's it, number one as as someone with an avowed interest in the civil rights movement. Um, it, it's I don't know if it's if it's a shame on me or if it's a shame on the American education system that this is not a bigger story than you know that's not been given more. Than it, than it um than it has been for for school age kids to to learn about um because i yeah fred hampton is very much a fringe character for me that you know that i've seen you know and and you go through you talk about history you want know, to talk about you know movies you know movies depicting you know the kind of those historical events there's just been so little of it so um so i'm i'm certainly glad to see it um but but i want to go back to that that rainbow coalition, that moment where, you know, the, the, um, the moment where he goes in, you know, he, he ends up with the, the young Lords, which I believe were the Hispanic was the Hispanic kind of group, uh, you know, civil rights group. And then the young Patriots, which is a bunch of, uh, you know, redneck white guys who, (laughs) you know, when, when they, they walk in and there's a Confederate flag hanging 
uh, on the stage and and the guy the guy speaking recognizes Fred Hampton and he's like oh hey I'm a big fan of you I'm a big fan of yours and and it's like you you expect this to be like like they're going to throw down right like you yeah. know this this is the you know the 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 hillbillies the the rednecks that are you know and and these black guys are coming and they and they throw out they have this little mini debate about the confederate flag and uh, and and i can't remember who even said it which one of them said it but they they made this comment he's like he's like you look at it and see your heritage i look at it and see my my uncle hanging from a tree yeah you know and i was like that was that's such a just a cool little moment and and he ends up pulling he ends up pulling these guys, these young Patriots onto his side to join this, you know, to join the coalition. And I thought that was terrific. And that was, that was a terrific little moment. And, um, you know, it, I, I, I wanted to make, make mention of that lest I feel like I'm just hammering on the movie the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I do have a, ha- when I'm for a movie, I just want this to be clear. I'm trying to get away uh, from this and I've failed to do so in uh, this one. When I'm yeah. for a movie, but it has setbacks that bother me because uh, this could be that four and a half to five out of five star yeah. experience. I do tend to focus on those things right. uh-huh. because I like the movie. And that's what I want this to end on. I do like this movie. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things where, man, those those moments really stick with me because, you know, I yes. I want it to be better basically but that scene that scene with the with with the uh you know the redneck guys and 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 all that that scene is Uh, one of several small moments that really make this film shine though and 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 that one the 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 putting together of the rainbow coalition all of those sequences with the exception of Mm -hmm. the tension that i wanted to be there because these some of those seem like dangerous places the redneck one less so um, for yeah. in in part because the leader of the redneck group, uh, recognized Hampton, oh. right? And they, it didn't quite seem as yeah. contentious right off the bat, at least. But um, man, the crown yeah. scene, you know, I wanted there to be more tension. But aside from that, though, those scenes are yes. great, though. Like they're really cool, and yeah. and I can't stress enough how important that it is that this movie be made, um, and that someone yeah. like Fred Hampton be known. And I think I think we're gonna see a lot more yeah. of this. And and I I want to say one thing, kind of about this as a whole. Um, and and then I'll let you if you have anything to finish uh, out with, Joe. By all means, we can jump around. You can say whatever else you want to get off your chest. But I, I you kind of led sure. me to this now. And you know, whenever when George Floyd was murdered last March, I believe it was, um, and. Mm-hmm. The BLM movement was kickstarted bigger than it ever has been. I mean, that really set it off to right. this huge global movement. And in my mind, I remember thinking, you know, next year, which is this year now, but I was like, next year, there's going to be a lot of art made about this. <laughs> you know, like I was just like, 2021 yeah, is going to uh-huh. be the year of people making movies about the black community. There are going to be records put out by notable yeah. artists that are going to be singing about this. This is going to happen. Of course, it started last year, but I mean, I thought this year, because especially with things like movies and stuff, that takes like a year or so, depending on how big the movie is, at least. So, you know, I thought it'd be into this year. And 
Um, I love Fred Hampton's story, and I love that it was told. I appreciate uh, that it's good because I do believe this is a good movie. Um, could it be better? Yes, but I don't care. The point is it was told, and at least it was done well, and Kaluuya's really good in it. Plemons is really good in it. Stanfield is also good in it. Uh, I don't think as good, but still completely yeah. fine. Like People are going to watch this and be like, why are they complaining? Because it's the inconsistency that bothers me, because there are moments where he's so good. That right. scene where he sees Roy in the crowd, I love that scene with Stanfield. But what I'm afraid of is though Judas is good, I'm afraid that we're going to get this, like, what's what's the word? Like, uh, influx of, like, movies like this about figures, like, that are really important that need to be yeah. told. And I am one who believes in representation, mm -hmm. so I think these need to exist for the sake of just representing Absolutely. this figure or the black community. But the other side of it is I also believe these movies deserve to be good. And not just good, they deserve to be better. And so my fear is when yeah. you start getting way more movies, an influx of movies, we're going to get a lot of bad ones. All right? <laughs> uh, yeah. And I don't... Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm afraid of. Because like a movie like this deserves to be told on a big scale like it is. This is a very, uh, this is a good scale for this mm -hmm. movie. It looks great. The whole deal. Um, but I, I do fear that there are going to be more movies that come out about equally as important, if not more important figures. And um, they're not going to get this treatment. And, and if that says anything, it says something about this film that, you know, this is, this is a, this is important because it represents somebody who has been underrepresented and who is ultimately, not willingly, of course, but gave their life <laughs> for for things for us right. to be farther than we are, basically. Um, so yeah. you should definitely you should definitely go check this out. Uh, but before I close it out, though, because I don't want to get that far, um, you know, I, I do want to talk about the end, but I also want to talk about everything, anything else that you have left to say, Joe. Um, we are starting to run out of time, but I do want to give you kind of the the floor here. I'll just say this. Huh. The end of the film was the first moment where I was truly moved in the movie. Um, and and yes. all I'll say is this. we Again, you were talking about the like how much do we spoil because part of it is just history. Well, this is the moment where it's just history. And I'm just going to say um, right. that the raid on Hampton's apartment and the epilogue. I will just keep that one. You know what I'm talking about, though. The, ep the bookend yeah. that I kind of hinted at yes. earlier. Those are so well yeah. done. And and I'll say this about the raid. The moment during the raid where the camera chooses to focus on Fishback's De Deborah rather than the events happening yes. around her, I think that was probably the most powerful choice in the movie for me where um, there Absolutely. was just something so... Like, that's how the whole film should have been. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not that intense, but I mean, like, that yeah, kind of storytelling, yeah, yeah. just that scene uh. and the storytelling employed there. Yeah. Absolutely floss. But but Joe, I do want you um I, I've I feel like I've talked like three times and it's been for too long. So I want to give you the floor, man. Anything else you want to talk about before we move on to our preview of twenty twenty one? Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, we're I think we're more or less on the same page. Um um as far as the this film goes. It's uh yeah, I completely yeah, that the the entire raid sequence was just it's it's heartbreaking, you know. It's anger-inducing on one level, 
and it's but it's it's an explicit show of what the you know what this really is you know and and yeah and the the way the way that it was treated and filmed was yeah was extraordinarily powerful yeah um for me and yeah the the you're you're right that they they completely chose the the irony of it is is that they made the right choice there but it was the wrong choice just because they hadn't been doing it the whole film um not yeah. the wrong choice necessarily but it no, wasn't I know what you mean. it didn't it it would have yeah yeah it, it it's not the wrong choice but it's it it was not as it, it nothing to, took away from it but the film as a whole would have been better served as you said to have a little bit more of that scattered throughout um yeah, because the only other man, time that they... was just just so yeah the the only other time i remember them uh doing oh, that though because i would say something kind of comparable it's not quite as powerful but kind of mm-hmm. comparable is the moment that we've talked about way too many times already which is roy being in the crowd yeah. and bill seeing roy um yes. and and that's again it's yeah. storytelling through like watching them experience something and it's the same reason you know mm-hmm. that we get a lot of shots in other movies where you see the person speaking and you see behind their head and you see a crowd in front of them, but the focus is on the person from behind. And it's like, you know, a lot of times like yeah. that can almost uh-huh. say more than whatever the crowd's doing. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, th- those two scenes, but I mean, but the one with Roy and bill in the crowd doesn't even come close to this one that we're talking. I mean, this one with Deborah is, uh, I mean, that's like, that's the signature moment for me, but I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, 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 um, not at all. Um, yeah, so yeah, that that scene is yeah, and and it's the, there's a lot going on there. There's I'll just say it like that. There there's a couple of different parties, you know, obviously with with different motivations. One of them is operating in a very casual kind of way, and in a from a position of power, and what they do is incredible just it's just it's heart-wrenching you know no matter how you slice it but you know given the the story certainly and you know what exactly happens is is terrifying i think in a sense um you know and and then there's you know what what they're going through as the the characters of the film right as um as as deborah um it's obviously it's it's a it, it harkens back to (laughs) <laughs> it harkens back to what caused the civil rights movement to become a movement to begin with. Right. So, uh, and again, I, we're, I'm dancing around the point, but um, just, yeah, just, just watch the movie and, and, yeah. and you'll certainly see what it, what it is we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and that, and, you know, and then just, just a quick thing. Again, I mentioned, uh, we talked about that the very end, the, um, the, the, the little, there's a little video clip at the very end and it, it hammers it, hammers home what and i said this already what um bill o'neill did but it it also shows his level of misguidedness i guess yeah it it shows you what he was thinking and where he went wrong and where he went way wrong and um it, it was an interesting thing to show at the very end and and it made it it made it a little more powerful um but 
yeah, yeah. I'll just stop there. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It, I it, mean, it means a lot. It definitely yeah. means a lot. Well, dude, like I said, that that epilogue, which is what you're referring to, and which is real footage. Like uh, I said, it's the bookend uh, from the beginning. But yeah. man. Yeah, it's it's really good, and and I know that I know that I've kind of been down on certain moments, and I, I can't stress enough anybody listening that that is mostly just because the rest of the movie is really well done, and it bummed me out that these yeah. moments could have really elevated it to such a great place because it does it deserves that. I mean, if it's going to be about someone as as notable yeah. as Fred Hampton and for a movement that was so important, uh, you know, it deserves that. But hey, you know what? You can check it out on HBO Max. I'm sure you can rent it elsewhere also, but it is on HBO Max. If you agree or disagree with our thoughts, definitely head over to Letterboxd. You can find me. uh, Just search Austin Glidden. You can also find Joe Shearer. That's Joe, Mm S-H-E-A-R-E-R, Joe Shearer on Letterboxd. Or you can hit us up on social (laughs) media. Joe's really impressed that I just spelled his name so fast, but it's because I read it. Anyways, um, but you can find us on social media. Just search Medium Cool Pod. Up next, we're going to be talking about our 2021 preview and giving you our predictions on what we think will be on our top 10 list at the end of the year. All right. Uh, today for our 2021 preview, we've decided to do our top five predictions of uh, you know 2021 movies that we think could end up on our year-end list at the end. So the goal is we're going to list five movies each, and we're going to see if any of those five movies end up on our list come probably next January, knowing me at least uh, at the earliest. I take forever to get lists out, uh, <laughs> right. as we saw this year. You know, um, only yeah. two weeks ago did we uh, do our top ten, but. Anyways, the point is, here are five that I'm hoping will be on mine. Funny story real quick that uh, Joe can attest to here. Uh, We already did this episode. Unfortunately, (laughs) we lost the footage uh, because my computer corrupted it for no reason. Um, So we're actually going to just give you... We had a whole much more planned. We're just giving you these top five. We're going to go ahead and start, though. This is, again, our top five predictions Mm -hmm. uh, for 2021 movies that could end up on our end of the year list. That's a... I got to come up with a shorter way of saying that, but yeah. you guys get where we're going. Joe, why don't you start? What's your, what's your what's your first choice of an anticipated movie that could end up on your list? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you know, and lots of people know, people who have been following me for a while know that I love the, the Marvel movies, that I've always loved the Marvel movies. And, and the past two years, well, aside from this past year, um, the previous two years, a, a Marvel film had been number one on my list. Um, this year there are four coming out, so I'm going to hazard a guess that one of them might be on the top ten list somewhere. I don't think it'll be number one. Uh, sure, well, I mean it'd be great if it was, but um, I'm I'm going to guess not. <laughs> but but given, I mean, the ones that that were number one were you know were kind of once in a lifetime movies that you know the uh, you know Infinity War and in Endgame. Uh, we're kind of once in a lifetime experiences. Uh, this year, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick um, maybe maybe make more of an educated guess and say that the the Spider-Man film that's supposed to come out here in December has been promised to be a massive um, game-changing kind of thing. There's a lot of buzz around it already. There's talk of characters from previous franchises coming, a multiverse opening up, doing really crazy things. So I'm gonna go ahead and say this as of yet untitled Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man. Home something something will be 
um, on yeah. my top 10 list comes out December 17th. So um, that, that, that'll be my first one. And, um, you know, I mean, what else am I going to say about Spider-Man movies? You guys know, you know, as much as we do, I think at this point, um, Jamie Foxx and <laughs> yeah. Alfred Molina and, you know, coming back as all their old characters. So uh, supposedly previous Spider-Man are coming back. So let, let's, let's check it out and see. Maybe, maybe not, but that, that's my first guess. Man, what what if what if Tom Holland, Toby Maguire, and Andrew Garfield are all and the nineteen ninety guy? That'd be even better, but let's take yes. him out. Um <laughs> but uh for those who don't know, there's a Spider Man movie that came out in nineteen ninety. But anyways, no one talks about it. Um but it would be cool if those three guys I love the multiverse thing. So yeah. I, I'm like you, I'm I'm interested in uh in seeing seeing that again we all know that i'm a critic of a lot of the mcu movies but this one i agree with you man uh-huh. i'm uh i'm excited about it mm-hmm. um so yeah yours is spider-man i almost yeah. said well it's spider-man 3 we just don't know it's home something it will yeah. definitely be home something we know right. that um my first one is probably the biggest budget kind of blockbuster of of the group it's it was supposed to come out last year um but it got pushed back to this year mm-hmm. And I'm always a fan of Denis Villeneuve's movies, and this one is no exception. I'm very excited to see yeah. Dune, which is an adaptation of the famous sci-fi book. comes out this year. Um, I don't have dates. I kind of just went ahead and just skipped release dates because they change too much right now, and we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I'll just October say this. Uh, Dune is... Allegedly October 1st. There you go. Joe's going to have my back on this then. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, um, I'm a big fan of the the, really the only reason I want to see this is is really two. I guess there are two reasons. One is Dune is supposed to be the, you know, like infamous book that cannot be filmed. Mm -hmm. And as Joe has mentioned several times, seeing uh, David Lynch's Dune in theaters and getting pamphlets or whatever, yeah. like little leaflets that are supposed to give you all these details that the film can't fit in. And, you know, it's supposed to be this unfilmable thing. And I've said on many occasions, I don't really care if something is accurate to the source material as long as it works as a film. Mm-hmm. So even if they have to dumb it down a little bit so that, you know, our plebeian minds can wrap around the greatness <laughs> of this Dune book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm perfectly fine with that, to be honest. But, man, uh, I, Denis Villeneuve is the other reason. Uh, I love everything he's done. Um, you know, uh, what was... I just spaced it. What was the Amy Adams movie? <laughs> um, Arrival. Was it Arrival? Thank you. Yeah. Jesus. Okay, uh, yeah, Arrival is... Um, you know, I, I wasn't like a huge fan, but I still liked it at least. Yeah, yeah, I liked you know it. what I mean. And he did one called Enemy, same thing. Like, I liked it, but it, it didn't blow my mind. But stuff like Prisoners, and uh, he did Sicario, which I adore. Man, um, I really like what this dude can do. I'm really excited to see. Oh, oh, and oh my God, I almost forgot Blade Runner 2049. I mean, that's by far my favorite of his. It's just a modern masterpiece to me. And uh, this dude, he I, I believe I've said this before off air uh, to various people, but I feel like Denis Villeneuve could be kind of like the next Christopher Nolan of sorts. And by that, I mean, Christopher Nolan was able to go from these movies like Memento and he did uh, studio pictures like Insomnia and the first Batman um, but then like he started coming into his own and he started making movies like Inception and the other Batman movies and he made um, you know, Interstellar. And regardless of how people feel about them, they don't feel like regular blockbusters. They feel like just a little bit more. 
And um, and I got to give him credit, regardless of whether I can nitpick the hell out of these movies and whether I agree with some of his choices. And I think some of them are just kind of flawed. Uh, but I still in, I'm still entertained at the very least, and that's for the most part what blockbusters are meant to do. And Denis Villeneuve, I don't know how Blade Runner 2049 was made. That movie like is just the most anti-blockbuster that was a blockbuster I've ever seen. And um, I hope he can kind of recreate that with something like Dune. That's my number one. Uh, Denis Villeneuve's Dune comes out in October. Uh, what's your number two, Joe? My number two, um, uh, supposed to come out in December, um, is directed by Guillermo del Toro. And uh, he, uh, this film is called Nightmare Alley. So just listen to this cast. Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, Richard Jenkins, Ron Perlman, Rooney Mara, David Strathairn. That is just, man, that's a, that's a murderer's row of, of just terrific actors. Um, it's a it's a Pretty great mix, list. you know, of yeah, it's a it's a great mix of of you know, like big time movie stars and and people who do character work. Um, and then you know, people who can kind of do one or the other. You know, Willem Dafoe can, you know, can be a movie star, he can be a, a character actor. Um, and David Strathairn is one of the great character actors of you know of the modern era, I would say. Um, so Nightmare Alley is a film about a carnival hustler, I believe played by uh, Bradley Cooper who he encounters a woman more dangerous than him. So that's, that's the synopsis I've gotten of that so far. Um, Del Toro is, you know, is, is a master for me. He's one of the ones that, you know, you go, Oh, he's got, he's like, like a, you know, Nolan is one of those. Uh, 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 Denis Villeneuve is like that too, where, Oh, they have a new movie coming out. Great. I can't wait to see it. And, um, and he's, he's one of those for me. Uh, so I, I'm man, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it comes out in December. It looks like kind of a mix of of horror, maybe a little comedy sprinkled in there. Uh, and you know, if Del Toro is doing it, it's going to have a lot of imagination and a lot of atmosphere. And uh, so, yeah, that's my my number two. What 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 you got for us? Very cool. You know, yeah. Two, well, I'll say this. Uh, the first thing I'll say about that is uh, yeah. David Strathairn is also in Joe's favorite movie from last year, Nomadland, which comes out <laughs> on my birthday. <laughs> February nineteenth. <laughs> I I love him. So, that, anyways, that's not one of my favorite movies, but I I still love him. I still. I, what's one of the things I was mad about is I was like, he was hardly in that damn movie. Um, go go yeah. check out David Strathairn in L.A. Confidential, and and my uh, um, my other favorite of his, well, Good Night and Good Luck, number two, number three is The River Wild, a Curtis Hansen movie he did with Meryl Streep and Kevin Bacon. John C. Riley. Um, that movie does not get its due for being just, it's a, it's, it's almost a, um, just an act. It's a Meryl Streep headlining an action movie is what it is. And I love that movie so much. And he, as much as anybody makes that movie. So um, yeah, go, yeah. The, wow. if, if you don't know who he is, watch those three movies and, and you'll get a great idea of who he is. Well, Joe, I'm my my number two is going to match your list of actors, okay? And we'll see which okay. one is is uh, by the time we get there, at <laughs> least we'll see which one is more impressive. Timothy Charlemagne, Fisher Stevens, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, uh, Saoirse Ronan, Elizabeth Moss, Tilda Swinton, Edward Norton, uh, Leah Seydoux, Francis McDormand, Adrian Brody. Christoph Waltz, Willem <laughs> Dafoe, Benicio del Toro, Cecile de France, 
and it just stops on IMDb. I'd have to go to the next thing. This is none other than Wes Anderson's The French French Dispatch. Um, I was so excited when you said, check out this cast list, because I was like, oh, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> it's on. Because <laughs> like most Wes Anderson movies, man, he just gets a ridiculous cast. Um, and and un- unlike people like Paul Thomas Anderson, who did stuff like Boogie Nights, and that cast is outrageous, yeah. but that cast wasn't nearly as popular at the time. Right. It's just something you look back on and go, oh, shit, that's a crazy cast. Yeah. But at the time, it wasn't that crazy. No, yeah. Like, Burt Reynolds was probably, like, the biggest actor in that movie or something. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which now he's like... Yeah. Most of them hadn't gotten there, or else they were... They were like Burt Reynolds was past his prime, and the rest of them, uh, Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg was probably the well, no, this is the movie that made Mark Wahlberg, and every yeah. Yeah, everybody else was up. Even Philip Seymour Hoffman was an up and comer. William H Macy was an up and comer. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, you're completely right. The the French Dispatch is uh is a film by Wes Anderson comes out this year, and it's about uh a, a, the staff of a European publication decides to publish a memorial edition highlighting. The three best stories from the last decade, an artist sentenced to life imprisonment, student riots, and a kidnapped, uh, sorry, a kidnapping resolved by a chef. Um, It doesn't even really matter what it's about because we're going to see some really wild symmetry and bright colors and, you know, quirky music and and weird performances by, you know, some of the best casts you're ever going to see. And that's any Wes Anderson movie pretty much. And. We're going to see super concentrated Wes Anderson here, I'm sure. And uh, anyways, uh, I, I mean, honestly, Joe, I don't even really know what else to say. Wes Anderson, do I even need to say more? I've listed the cast. I've said it's Wes Anderson. Just watch it. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's not It's not really fair comparing without, you know, without warning me first that you're going to you're gonna invoke Wes Anderson <laughs> because, yeah, it's, it's just not even fair. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your number so, three, man? Uh, my my number three is you know we we we've it's a long it's long been established that that we love horror um, and um, I love this uh, and this maybe not won't this maybe won't be on my list at the end of the year my top ten list but chances are it will be on my top ten film experiences of the year if for no other reason than I will be sitting there with my daughter it's my daughter's most anticipated film of the year so that puts it up there with me because I'm the one who watches scary movies with her. And that is October 15th, Halloween kills. So um, we're going to, we're going into Halloween kills. This is, this is Halloween 2.3. If we want to call it that Um, the the third (laughs) shot at a, at a Halloween two, or, or I don't know, maybe, maybe if the last Halloween 2018 Halloween was Halloween two, this is Halloween three. I don't know. Anyway, it's not important. Um, what what is important is uh, David Gordon Green came back to direct. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis and, um, and <laughs> no, it's basic. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis came back with Judy Greer. Um, uh, who is that? Um, I think it's uh, Andy Matichuk is the the is Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter, and uh, they were, are coming back again to battle Michael Myers. Um, so I cannot wait for that. Um, this is as, as was, um, your Wes Anderson film. This was supposed to be out last year, but COVID ruined that and got pushed back a full calendar year. And, uh, so just building up the, building up the pressure for us and, and the tension. So 
Um, cannot wait to see Michael Myers come back again. I, I thought the 2018 Halloween was was a breath of fresh air, and I, I think this will kind of continue that and and do something a little different and and but keep what makes Halloween Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to say one thing about this uh, Halloween Kills movie. It's directed, again, same as the 2018 movie by David Gordon Green. And I just want to run down real quick what this guy's done, because uh, he's clearly uh, going insane. So he starts with uh, a film from uh, the year 2000, George Washington. He does all Mm -hmm. the real girls. These are two kind of like indie, like almost kind of art films-ish, like... You know, he's you know the, just like very much an independent filmmaker. He does Undertow and Snow Angels where he's starting to get more popular because of the hits that he did prior, like the Indie Darlings, so to speak. But all four yeah. of these first few movies are kind of similar, very thoughtful, you know, very thoughtful films. Then in 2011, okay, or no, sorry, 2000, wait, 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 2008, my bad. Yeah. He does Pineapple Express. What the heck? So he does Pineapple right. Express, Your Highness, and The Sitter. I don't know how he goes from George Washington and all the real girls to to like Your Highness and The Sitter, but he somehow just does a complete 180, and he's doing just kind of silly, you know, uh, just like kind of raunchy comedies, basically. Yeah. Then he does Prince Avalanche with Paul Rudd, and that's kind of blending the two, kind of a meaningful film while also kind of being comedy mm-hmm. at times. And then he does Joe, which is a Nick Cage movie, and it gets wild. And then he starts kind of doing random stuff. So he goes from like kind of these weird indie darling art art kind of films to like these Mm -hmm. ridiculous, like just senseless comedies to like kind of meaningful comedy to like Nick Cage movie to like weird HBO, uh, you know, Al Pacino movie. And then, you know, 2018 comes around. He does the Halloween reboot, which is not a full reboot. Again, to give everyone the the context, Halloween 1 exists. 1978, that one works. 20 or... Th- wait, what is that? Holy shit. 40 years later or whatever? 40 years later. However many decades. Yeah. You have 2018. This is Halloween 2. So it's not a remake of the first right. one. This is a continuation of the first movie. Yes. And now he's doing the third sequel as if every other Halloween movie didn't exist. It's 1978, 2018, right. and now 2021. Uh, I'm also looking forward to it. I do want to say this. Um, he's also supposed to be coming out with, um, not this year, but uh, coming up at some point. He's doing a, I don't know if it's a remake or what, of The Exorcist. He's also has another Halloween movie. And... A TV yep. series about Hellraiser. Dude has lost his mind. He's in horror territory yeah. now. Huh? Really crazy. Anyways, I'm a big fan of David yeah. Gordon Green. For the most part, I don't like everything he's yeah. done, but I'm always interested to see how he yeah. does things. He's a very interesting guy. Yeah. I, uh, my number three. I should mention, too. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I'll say I should, I should mention, too, because I, I never can pass up an opportunity to, to do so. I did interview David Gordon Green uh, several years ago um for uh for snow angels so um i'll i'll, I'll name drop one you know as 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 our our buddy matt sosi likes to say I'll, I'll name drop whenever i get the opportunity and, and yeah i did an interview with david gordon green who's he was he was a good interview um but yeah it was a long time ago i wish i had i, I wish i had an updated chance to talk halloween with him a little bit yeah brag brag, as brag. Opposed anyways to Rob uh, Zombie, so my number three <laughs> <laughs> who's a damn liar <laughs> oh my gosh but anyway yeah. We can talk I about hate those Rob Zombie movies. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, my th- my number three is uh, a movie that's actually already out. It's been out for about three weeks now, or, or maybe even more at this point. Um, I found out about it through our you know friend of the show and critic at the Midwest Film Journal, Sam Watermeyer. We've talked about him many times. He's left voicemails for the show. And he talked this movie up on Facebook so much that I watched this, Joe, in spite of Sam, just so I could, <laughs> one, mark off a 2021 movie, and uh-huh. I could tell him why the movie's not as good as he thinks. So full transparency, I was just trying to give my friend shit. That's really the reason I watched it, because basically uh-huh. all I knew about this or thought I knew about it is this is a magic show. And then yeah. I watch the movie directed by Frank Oz, uh, created by Derek Del Guadio. It's called In and of Itself. It's on Hulu right now. And the film follows storyteller and conceptual magician Derek Del Guadio as he attempts to understand the concept of identity and answer the deceptively simple question, who am I? The film is a theatrical existential crisis, as Del Guadio would call it. And uh, if taken seriously, a productive journey into oneself. Joe, I don't know if you've seen this movie, but I'm telling you right now, dude, you have to if you haven't. This movie, I'm not joking. I watched it next night. I made my wife watch it with me. I'm texting my friends. Both times I watched it, I'm just crying. Okay? (laughs) Like, I don't cry very often. It's not that I'm against it. I have no problem with it. Quite frankly, at times, I really love it. But I just don't. It's just not a physiological response that I have to things, usually. This movie just broke me down. By halfway through, I was broken. Uh, Definitely go check this out. But the reason it's on here is it's a prediction of what could potentially be um, a top 10 list contender. And I'll tell you this. With Spider-Man, you said, like, you know, I I hope it's not on there. I mean, if it is cool, that means it was good. But it's like, man, I hope there are 10 better movies. I'm the same way. I hope yeah. there are 10 better movies than in and of itself, um, yeah. but I'll, I'll be damned if I'll have an experience like I had here. I guarantee there will be better films than this one because this movie is not very cinematic. Um, that's not the point, though. It's really exploring right. I, um, uh, identity in a very interesting way, and essentially, at least the, at the very least, the audience that's there gets to kind of literally experience in a much lighter form um, an existential crisis as you're watching this thing. Uh, trust me, get one, once you get to a point where they're reading letters, that's all I'll say. If you're not crying, you have no soul. That's all I'm saying. So in and of itself, directed by Frank Oz from The Dark Crystal and Little Shop of Horrors fame and The Muppets and all that stuff. He directed that. Well, he did this, and he also did the uh, – he directed the stage – version and uh, the filmed version. Let me say this real quick. I don't think I made this clear. This is a filmed live performance. They performed this like a ton of times and filmed them all, and then they edited pieces together to kind of create okay. the best version. And And he is technically a magician, but I do want to say this real quick, and I'm not doing a review. I really need to just shut up, but this is very important to me. This is not a magic show, okay? I need everyone yeah. to understand this is not a magic show. The magic that is used, which is only a few kind of bits that he does, but the thing is, it is used for storytelling. This movie is an incredible storytelling device, basically. But um, the magic is used for storytelling, and it is used also almost metaphorically because he's using these illusions, of course. And the whole idea of the movie is that identity is an illusion. 
And I just think that it's so fascinating that he tries to tell that story by using these illusions. I think this is a really powerful film. I am, again, I went into this in spite of someone and I left crying, wanting everyone to see it um, in and of itself. That's my number three. Uh, Joe, what do you got for us? What do you want to say? No. Number four, yeah, I I feel like I'm I'm going heavy on the on the scary movies here, but um, I I kind of after seeing the the trailer for this one, another one that was delayed last year, I have to include it on my list. Um, this is this is a remake. I was not the biggest fan in the world of the original, but um, having watched it again recently, I have a greater appreciation for it. Um, this is um, Jordan Peele's version of Candyman. So oh yeah. Um yeah the the there was a trailer that came out last year for this movie that used like paper uh like like weird like paper shadow ish puppets. It was it was like it was it was a unique it was a unique experience. It's a trailer I've never seen tried before, but it, it's telling the backstory of Candyman. And it is amazingly, it's a brilliant piece of film in itself, a little two minute or so um, short film that is the trailer for this movie coming up. It just tells the backstory of Candyman. It's not about being scary. It's not about throwing a bunch of jump scares at you. It's about, it, it has a really soft kind of tender soundtrack to it. And it it's focusing on the sadness of the, of the character and it was brilliantly done and it really 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 great movies and that's gonna be really cool to a, oh my god i've got to see this movie right away and um it is it was delayed this past year um it's supposed to be coming out in august of this year and um i can't remember if this is getting the it's gonna get the streaming and theatrical treatment but i can't wait to see Candyman, and I, i'm really excited about it and want to want to see what they do with it. So that, that's going to be my number four. Yeah. I'm actually, I still haven't seen the original and the reason in large part is because when I was a kid and a teenager, I still, I still have apophobia, which is just a dreadful fear of bees and wasps. And, oh. um, on the cover of Candyman, there is a mm-hmm. bee walking across an eye. I can't watch oh, that. Yeah. Okay, so right. I never watched it, and then by the time I got into film, I had no interest because I was never like a big yeah. horror fan. Uh, uh-huh. Of course, as you know, there are a lot of horror fans or movies I really love, but it's still not really yeah. a genre that I expect much from. Uh, you know, I often yeah. just get really awesome movies sometimes. You know, um, yeah. but yeah, I'm excited to see this as well. If if not only for the reason that it is uh, a skilled filmmaker recreating an existing um, property, basically. Yeah. And uh, I think he has the ability to do it justice. So that that's a really great choice. Uh, my number four is a, a movie that has been getting a lot of buzz in the Sundance film circuit. Uh, and I honestly don't know anything about it, really. So I'm not going to, you know, harp on about this one. But it's a movie called Mass. It's by director Fran Kranz. Kranz sorry, Fran Kranz. And... Um, uh, basically, the synopsis that I've read is years after a tragic shooting, the parents of both the victim and the perpetrator meet face to face. This has been getting a ton of buzz that I've been reading about, at least. And as you know, uh, Joe, any chance that I can get a free first class ticket to Bummerville, 
I'm taking it. And this <laughs> right. sure sounds like it's giving out tickets. So, um, you know, Mass, again, I don't know exactly when it comes out. When I was reading about this and putting this together, uh, there wasn't a full date yet because I don't know if anybody had actually purchased the rights. It may exist now. I'm kind of stalling because I can't tell if Joe's trying to find that out right now, but maybe he is. <laughs> anyways, no. um, the movie, he's not, so then I'm going to stop talking. Not, but sorry. anyways, the movie is... <laughs> no, it's okay. If I, I'll look for it whenever you're going. But anyways, okay. uh, it's Mass, directed by Fran Kranz. Um, I don't know much more other than... Uh, oh, the trailer, I believe, is out as well, and that looks great as well. I mean, that sold... The visual style and everything looked spot on. Um, and then just reading the synopsis, I'm 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 all about it. So that's my number four, a, uh, a film festival darling, mess. What's Absolutely. your number five, Joe? Absolutely, yeah. So so my number. So you talked about yours changing. Um, my mine changed from our our original uh, filming to this is the one that that I'm uh, that I'm uh, using to uh, uh, add a new number five. Uh, th- this movie is directed by um, Michael Showalter who is known for he directed the big sick a couple of years ago uh do, are we overlapping we're not overlapping are we are we no, overlapping no, no. On our, okay good so so uh the the director of the big hey, real sick, quick hold on wrote, hold on hold on yeah we're, we're we're allowed to be authentic and we're allowed uh-huh. to overlap joe you overlap <laughs> the shit out of our lists if you want but i Let's love michael showalter so i'm so glad that this is on your list go ahead Alstead, yeah he so he wrote wet hot american summer uh if you remember that from years ago the big sick uh just a couple of years ago it was a it was a terrific movie this movie has a special place in my heart just because i visited the hotel slash resort that these charlatans these con artists um <laughs> uh built uh back in the 80s uh which is a great story in and of itself it's one of the great experiences of my life to be honest um as a, especially as a kid um the, the movie is the eyes of tammy Faye. uh this so this it stars this is of course the the story of tammy Faye baker and of course her her husband jim baker jessica chastain plays tammy Faye baker I cannot, I cannot fathom what she's going to do with this role. I love Jessica Chastain. Um, I don't see her in this kind of role, so I'm extremely excited. Andrew Garfield plays Jim Baker again. Not the ty- not the person I would think is going to play this play this role. Vincent D'Onofrio is playing Jerry Fall. I, I, none of these people. Jerry Falwell, <laughs> Vincent D'Onofrio, for God's sake. <laughs> what are we gonna do with this yeah um there there are actors uh gabriel olds who i don't i don't know much about him is playing pat robertson there's a lot of people you know jerry uh, jimmy swagger is gonna be portrayed by jay jay hugely i don't know who that is either so it I, i just i can't imagine this is not gonna be anything other than just a bonkers kind of a movie um it can go in any number of directions. Uh, Tammy Faye Baker, if you don't know her, was a televangelist. Uh, actually, Jim Baker, her husband, was the televangelist, and she was um, prominently featured. She's known for her, let's say, excessive use of makeup. Um, and they basically scammed people out of millions of dollars, uh, several members of my family included. 
Um, they they had a resort hotel in South Carolina that, as I said, I visited once for uh, I don't know how long, uh, three or four days maybe. Um, at, you know, when I was about eight years old, and uh, as it turns out, uh, Jim was uh, Jim liked to um, chase after people, women he wasn't married to, among other things, and he also loved uh, taking money that he shouldn't have been taking. So it, it was a major scandal in the eighties. And uh, th this film promises to me to be, I, I mean, I, this is promises to be on my list at the end of the year. It's, it's almost a slam dunk. I'm, I'm just going to say uh, it's going to be on my list when all said and done. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what they do with it and, and what happens here. But um, yeah, if, if you don't know that story in general, um, check, you know, go check up on it because it's, it's something else. And um, or wait and watch this movie and, and uh, see what they do with it as well. Because it's it's going to be something. It's going to be it's going to be baddie for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, for those who don't know who Michael Showalter is, which hopefully you do, he was in The State on MTV, and also yes. he was in the uh, the trio Stella with Michael Ian Black and David Wayne. David Wayne, of course, being a director himself, and you know having done all kinds of great stuff. What was the one with Paul Rudd uh, where they LARP? I'm forgetting what that one's oh, called. Oh, was that I Love You, Man? I love no, love that wasn't. I love man, you, man. No. It's it's just no, no. It was a, no, me. it was role models. Uh, role models. Role models. Yeah. Was, so I see, I With, I um, loved that one. Yeah. I was just gonna say that I I loved that one because it's so ridiculous, and and that's what these guys are really good at. Just these absolutely absurdist comedies, um, and and uh, I'm telling you, having like you, I grew up with you know. Uh, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, and they were these, you know, prosperity gospel was like their really big thing, prosperity gospel. If you give this much, God yes. will, you know, bless you in abundance and all this. And and then, I mean, look right. who's telling you that, these people who have an abundance, right? And they've done yeah. this, so why don't you do it? And they're really conning people out of money. And their son's actually pretty cool. His name's Jay Baker, and uh, he went on to be a pastor. He's all tatted up, but he's like way different than them. Um, and I remember, I don't know if he's still a cool dude, but at one point I thought he was really cool, probably just cause he had tattoos. But the point is, right. luckily the apple <laughs> fell pretty far from the tree, it seems, because these two are yeah. wild. Tammy Faye also could be seen on a lot of reality shows in like the mid 2000s, yeah. which was also hilarious. Um, she's just, she's wild. This movie's going to be great. I, I, I saw, I have this on my list of 2021 20, films to see, and I didn't know if it'd yeah. be on my top 10, which is why I shied away from it. But man, this is such yeah. a good pick because it could yeah. be like, it could <laughs> just, when I didn't realize Vincent D'Onofrio is Jerry Falwell. When I see that, I'm going <laughs> to pop so hard. It's going to be the greatest thing I've right. ever seen. Uh, I'm like a total mark for things like this, but I'm going to go ahead and move on to my number five so we can yeah. close this out here. And um, absolutely, my number five is a really, man, what a weird thing here. Uh, so it's called The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is a an adaptation of the Shakespeare, uh, a loose adaptation of the Shakespeare play uh, by Joel Cohen, not the Cohen brothers, just Joel Cohen. Um, I find that really fascinating. I cannot wait to see this. Uh, I, I'm uh, pulling it up here because I want to see if I can find out when this is supposed to be uh, put out here. But anyways, uh, you know, I, I love the Coen brothers. I know that you're a fan as well, Joe. Uh, huge, mm -hmm. huge fan of the Coen brothers. Joel Cohen is uh, 
you know, he's often marked as the director, even though both of them kind of share the responsibilities, but he's often the director. But he's in this uh, solo, man. And so uh, Denzel Washington's in this, Francis McDormand, Brendan Gleeson, Harry Melling. Um, I mean, I'm kind of going through here. There are tons of people, but I'm just kind of hitting some of the highlights here. Tons and tons of people. If you go look at this cast, it's crazy. And I can't imagine, I can and can't imagine uh, the Coen brothers doing a Shakespeare thing and it not just being a loose uh, kind of variation of the tale. But either way, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, this would probably be some sort of war-torn drama and I'm very excited. And that Mm -hmm. cast is so bizarre. Like, I just, it's so hard for me to imagine, you know, those actors all being in the same movie and I'm just really stoked to see how that plays out. Um, and I'm just a huge mark for William Shakespeare stuff. Uh, big fan of mm-hmm. uh, a lot of film adaptations of those, not even direct adaptations. Kurosawa did, you know, some adaptations uh, of his films. Like Ron is a very loose adaptation of King Lear. Um, Throne of Blood is a very mm-hmm. loose adaptation of Macbeth. And even uh, The Bad Sleep Well is kind of Hamlet esque. And I just love when people, when filmmakers take those and can make something new out of those. Stories, but this is supposed to be an actual depiction of Macbeth, but it's called The Tragedy of Macbeth. You can find out more in some interviews. I remember watching one with Francis McDormand. Um, but yeah, Joe, that, that pretty much closes us out. How do you feel about Joe Cohen doing a movie by himself? Uh, it's a, and it's, it's a, a Shakespeare yeah. story. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a that's a great choice. First of all, um, I'll say that. Yeah, and yeah, it, it's interesting, and and you're right, man. Uh, it you know that that's the one thing you can count on for them is that they're going to do something interesting and and probably different when when they adapt anything. Um, you know, you know, go back to Oh Brother Where Art Thou and you know see them do, you know the the uh, the old Greek the old Greek epics in a <laughs> in that style of of uh, of the uh, the De- Great Depression and you know so it's. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting choice. It'll be great to see what they do. And um, man, love some love some Coens. And and as you said, whether they're together or by themselves, so we're going to, you know, we'll we'll love a little bit of it, I think. So, um, yeah, let, let's let's get that one going. See if we can get that on the list, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am totally excited for all five of these and your five picks. I mean, I think this year could be another really great year for film. And uh, we're going to yeah. go ahead and close up our 2021 preview uh, with those picks, if you have any picks of your own, or if you agree or disagree with any of our picks, please hit us up, Medium Cool Pod, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just hit us up. You know, you can hit me up. I'm Austin Glidden on Twitter, yeah. at Austin Glidden. I think you are Joe Shearer9. I believe that is your Twitter handle. So right. find Joe Shearer9. Hit us up, man. We'll have a great time talking with you about your picks and your anticipated titles. But with that, Joe, we're going to go ahead and sign off, man. All right. Is that all right yeah. with you? Yeah, let's go. Let's let's get out of here. We got um, more things to more things to watch, more things to talk about, and and uh, yeah, come come engage with us. Come come, you know, tell us how dumb we are. Come tell us how good we are. Uh, just come talk to us. Come listen to us some more, and and uh, uh, catch us on. You know, we we mentioned LinkedIn um, earlier. Catch us both on LinkedIn. Not LinkedIn uh, Letterbox. Uh, catch catch us outside. How about that? <laughs> Well, LinkedIn too. Damn it, Letterbox link. We we gotta get our social media straight here. By we, you mean you. All right, see you, dude. Outside, okay. How about that?
<laughs> me. <laughs> so that's our show for today hopefully you enjoyed our thoughts on judas and the black messiah as well as our 2021 preview picks i hope you're hyped about those picks if you agree or disagree with anything that you heard today feel free to hit us up on facebook instagram and twitter medium cool pod that's facebook.com backslash medium cool pod you can also hit us up at instagram by searching medium cool pod and at medium cool pod on twitter you can also email us at medium cool pod at gmail.com Again, please subscribe to the show. It really helps us out. Um, Go check out our YouTube page under Medium Cool, a movie podcast, and you can subscribe there. It should be in the show notes. Uh, Find me on on, uh, Twitter. I'm Austin at Austin Glidden. You can find Joe at Joe Shearer 9 because he's a dork and he has just like a random number at the end. It's fine. Apparently there are nine Joe Shearers and he's just, you know, the ninth coolest. Whatever. He doesn't listen to the show anyways. So, (laughs) um... You know, I, I hope you guys in, enjoyed that. Uh, there are a ton of other movies that you should definitely go do a little research, do a little work, you know, and check it out. If you're on Letterboxd, I believe that my 2021 films to see list is public. And uh, I'm looking at it now, and it should be. So um, it's a bunch of, you know, it's, I mean, I think there are like 145 movies on here already. And I don't even know, like, all the movies that are coming out. So, you know, if you go, uh, you know, start a Letterboxd account, check out my list. It's not because, you know, all the movies in it are not necessarily movies I even care to see. It's just stuff that I'll probably get around to seeing just so I can have a good, well-rounded, um, you know, uh, end-of-year list. And, uh, you know, it'll give me an opinion on a lot of movies regardless because I'll watch anything. So, basically, uh, you're going to find a ton of movies, skim through them, find what, you know... Click on a few, see who directed it. Maybe you'll recognize a name. Find out who wrote it. There's tons of good stuff on there. Just be ready because 2021 has a lot of good stuff, uh, you know, and a lot of good stuff from 2020 that got pushed into this year. I'm really hyped about it. Uh, I'm also hyped about potentially doing this uh, medium cool Thursday review thing where I can talk about a whole lot more movies and kind of work that into YouTube. Again, let me know what you think of that. I'm curious of your opinions. And um, I don't know. With that, I think that I'm just going to sign off here. Uh, You know, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about all this. So, hey, we love you. Thank you so much. Good night. Good luck. And take it easy.